Hello and welcome to this GBM Media Podcast. You're about to hear Serving Today, a programme for pastors and church leaders. If you're involved in any form of Bible teaching, be that one-to-one or in small or larger groups, Serving Today will be relevant for you. Welcome to Serving Today, the programme for pastors and church leaders. I'm Andrew Cook and it's good to be together again. Slaves and Masters, what the Ephesians letter teaches. And Christ the Bridegroom, in the Names of Christ series. Here on Serving Today, we're continuing our series looking at the letter to the Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul, and we're getting help on this from Ray Tibbs. The last few programmes have been about marriage and parenting, so here's Ray to tell us what we're going to consider this time. This time we'll be thinking about slaves and their masters. The call to wives was submission, to order their lives in recognition of their relationship with their husband. The call to children and servants was obedience. They did not have the same freedom. Their lives were much more dependent upon the choices of the authority over them. The self-denial required would be easier when they recognise God's order for them. They would be less inclined to be rebellious when they saw God's hand. We're looking now at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through to 9. Yes, before coming to some of the principles that come out of these instructions to slaves or servants, let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. The first thing for slaves to remember is that it is God's world. Paul accepted what was happening in society without question. Although the system of slavery may have been corrupt or oppressive, Christians had to live in the real world and face life as it is. That does not mean they cannot work and pray for change, but it should be done from within the existing situation. Take a look at Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 20 to 24. It is God who directs the affairs of mankind. And while circumstances may seem unjust, they are serving a higher purpose. We must learn to see the bigger picture, not just ourselves in relation to God, but also ourselves in relation to what God is doing at large. His grand design for this world includes us and is for the good of the church. So slaves or servants or anyone who works for someone else need to remember that this is God's world. What else do these verses teach in this context? Well, secondly, that it is God's work. If slaves looked only at their human master, their service would be variable because men are so changeable. 
Paul's exhortation was to serve their master as if they were serving Christ himself. They were to look beyond the appearance of things and see God's appointment. The will of God is that everyone should fulfil their part in his plan. They must accept their place in it, whatever that place may be and whoever may be around them. The worker is serving a higher master and should conduct himself accordingly. Their position was not simply planned by God, it was also used by God for the furtherance of his kingdom. We need to have in mind that our work is done in the context of God's world and and that whatever kind of work believers are engaged in, it is in fact God's work. What other principle is there that we can take from this passage about slaves? The next principle is that it is God's standard that we should be living by. When that perspective was truly embraced, it would show itself in practice. The Christian should provide a higher quality of work because he is not working for himself or others, but for Christ. He will be anxious not to displease his God and Saviour. He will do his best because he is accountable to a higher authority for his conduct. The task he has been given is to exalt Christ, and he will do that by working in a way that is different and better than those who do not know Christ. If he would honour his real master, then the world's standards cannot be his. Before you give us the final heading for now, let's read verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 8 begins, Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Slaves can keep in mind that they are working for God's reward. If slaves could look to God for assurance, inspiration and guidance, then they could look to him for a real reward also. It is at this point that Paul addressed the masters, saying that they would lose nothing by treating their slaves properly. All that he had said to slaves applied equally to their masters. God had entrusted them with this added responsibility, and they would do well to acknowledge that in their treatment of them, God would reward good stewardship in both the slave and the master. We now come to the series in which our good friend Derek French explains what the names used of Jesus in the Bible actually mean. I hope that as you've heard these titles explained, that it has widened your understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is and what he achieved on behalf of his people, the Church. So let's now hear from Derek. The name of Christ before us today is a rather lovely and intimate name that makes him exceedingly precious to every true believer and to the whole Church of God in all ages. It's the name Bridegroom. 
The passage we're going to consider is in Matthew chapter 9, but the theme of Christ being a bridegroom and that his church is his bride occurs a number of times in the New Testament. For example, to name just a few, in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Then in Ephesians 5 we read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And further, Revelation 19 verse 7 declares, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So this marriage terminology occurs several times in the Bible, in both Old and New Testaments. For our consideration today, we're going to look first at Matthew 9 verses 14 to 19, and see how it links with the other Bible passages. The disciples of John the Baptist noticed that there was a difference between themselves and the Pharisees compared with Jesus' disciples. The issue was, both these groups fasted, but Jesus' disciples didn't. And so these disciples of John asked Jesus why this was the case. The Pharisee in Jesus' parable about prayer in Luke 18 fasted twice a week. How often John's disciples fasted we're not told, simply that they did. And they couldn't understand why this was not the same for Jesus' disciples. Jesus answered like this, it's Matthew 9 verse 16. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. In ancient weddings, the bridegroom would have his attendants. They were usually his friends who'd been invited to the wedding to both stand by their friend for his encouragement in this particular time in his life, and also to ensure that the arrangements went well and promote the success of the event. So Jesus' answer to these disciples of John was that it was utterly absurd to think that the bridegroom's friends would fast while he was with them. He then went on to say that a time would come when his disciples would fast, and that was when he had been taken away from them. He's referring, of course, to his being taken away to be crucified. But the significance for us to concentrate on is not so much the issue of fasting, not that fasting is unimportant and it's certainly worth considering, but rather on Jesus' description of himself as the bridegroom. It really is a precious title because it is so rich with meaning. First, and of great importance, it indicates to us the immense love Christ has for his church, who are his bride. Every member of his church is precious and valuable to him. Indeed, so valuable that he died to save them. Though he knew they were unlovely and unattractive because of their rebellion and sinfulness, yet he had been given them by his Father in heaven to save from their sins, and he loved every single one of them. He took the entirety of his bride's sins upon himself as he laid down his life for them on the cross. He died to purchase their redemption, even the forgiveness of their sins. He suffered intensely in the place of each member of his church as the full weight of God's holy justice fell on him. That is love which is beyond measure. It's an intense love, a sacrificial love, a faithful love and an everlasting love. Added to that, he watches over and cares for and provides for his bride constantly. His people often face hardship and difficulty and pain and hostility from the unbelieving world. 
but he watches over them day and night and will not allow anything to separate them from him. Such is the strength of his love for his bride. And we can go even further. Having saved them, he's now shaping their lives and preparing them to be ready for the marriage that will take place when he returns. On that day, he will present his entire bride perfect. We mentioned earlier Ephesians 5, where we are told that Jesus will present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, those whom he has saved, he is sanctifying, purifying them so that when he returns and they are presented to him as his bride, they will be perfect in every way. There will not be a single blemish on them. They will be spotless, untarnished, pure, holy, a bride fit for the heavenly bridegroom. How precious to belong to such a bridegroom. What blessings this brings. What joy. What assurance. What hope. What certainty. We can but praise his holy name. Amen. And that's all we have time for here on Serving Today. If you would like to get in touch with us, listen out for the contact details that you'll hear in just a moment. So this is Andrew Cook saying goodbye, and may God bless you in your service for Christ. Well, thanks for listening to Serving Today, a podcast from the Grace Baptist Mission radio team. To get in touch with us, you can send us a message via WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven five zero eight nine three two five three four. That's plus four four seven five zero eight nine three two five three four. Or email us. The address is servingtoday at gbm.org.uk. Until next time, goodbye.